0: Chapter 16 of Organic Evolution. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Francis Wicks. Organic Evolution by Richard Swan Lull. Part 3 The Evidences of Evolution. Section 2 Morphology and Adaptations. Chapter 16b Animal Associations Communalism communalism as has been said always implies division of labor sometimes with physical differentiation although in higher organisms increased intelligence may offset physical differences the individuals being more adaptable to the various tasks of the community and not necessarily limited to one or two true communalism is found in but two groups of organisms the insects and mankind in each instance the final culmination of a long and important evolutionary line Insects. Among insects two orders only are sufficiently advanced to include communal forms the isoptera termites or white ants and the hymenoptera ants bees and wasps. Termites are insects of a comparatively low grade of organization and bear no relationship whatever to the true ants their popular designation white ants having arisen from the fact that like the former they dwell in large communities with a complex social system. Members of the two groups of insects may readily be told apart, as the termites lack the delicate peduncle that joins the thorax and abdomen in the ants, and are broad-waisted creatures, yellow-white to light-brown in color. Most of the termites are wingless. Others have wings for a while, which are afterwards shed, many are blind, and all have slender antennae, resembling strings of beads." Their social organization has carried with it a remarkable physical differentiation, so that at least four distinct castes are generally recognizable. They are not, however, as in the case of Hymenoptera, characterized by sex differences, but include both males and females in each grade. The four castes are, first, the workers, small, blind, wingless, pale in color with undeveloped sexual organs, but with fairly well formed jaws. In some species, there are no workers. In others, there may be two kinds. The second are soldiers. They are also blind and wingless and sexually undeveloped. Their chief distinction from all the other castes lies in the greatly developed scissor shaped jaws, which, together with the enlarged head, are darker in color than the rest of the body, due to their being more strongly chitinized. The third caste, consists of the complemental males and females also blind and wingless but with limited powers of procreation otherwise they they look not unlike the larger workers their duty is to supplement the production of young in the event of failure on the part of the chief sexed individuals the fourth caste are the true or chief males and females these differ markedly from the other castes in their darker colour and by being possessed of both wings and organs of vision as they alone are concerned with the external world all the others being subterranean creatures which so far shun the light and air as to build covered tunnels for communication where burrowing is impractical the true sexed individuals are produced in great numbers and in the spring emerge from their underground fastnesses and swarm forth on their mating flight they are assailed by birds and other insectivorous animals and countless numbers are destroyed before a suitable haven is reached. Ultimately, they settle to the ground, such as survive the slaughter, and the wings are stripped off, breaking at a line of least resistance, so that only a stump remains. The males and females now pair, and each pair under normal conditions, are the potential founders of the new colony. A supposition is that they must be found by a group of workers who then take possession of them and make them the royal or more properly parental pair of a new community which these workers establish just how new colonies are formed in the familiar new england species termus flavipus is not known but nor has a gravid true female ever been found and it is within the possibilities that in spite of their numbers none of the chief cast ever succeed in surviving the mating flight, and that the young are produced entirely by the complemental cast. Among tropical species, and they are very numerous, especially in Africa, see Drummond, and South America, the chief females, sometimes distended with eggs to many times their original size, are frequently found. The young are all alike when first hatched, three molts being necessary to develop into large-headed individuals, and three more to form the latter into perfect soldiers. The termites have as commensal guests within their colonies many other kinds of insects, of which more than a hundred species have been described. These are known as termitophiles, or lovers of termites. The true ants have similar myrmecophiles, of which there are many more than in the present instance. Hymenoptera show all gradations of development from solitary forms to those among which there is a most intimate communal life. Gradational series may be illustrated by the bees and wasps. The ants, on the other hand, are entirely communal. Bees may be classified on the basis of habit and physiological development into three groups solitary, gregarious, and communal, of which the hive bees have attained the highest development solitary bees need not be discussed but as the social organization in the gregarious bees grades into the communal a few may be described some of the technically solitary bees have a marked preference for one another's company and thus show the beginnings of a gregarious life near stanford university there is a huge colony of a mining bee anthophora stanfordiana in which the vertical burrows are set as closely together as possible without interference, each burrow being the property of a single female bee. In this instance, the hole is not filled with stored food and closed up as is usual, but the mother bee brings sustenance to the larva during its entire period of helplessness. Andrina, the small mining bee, forms similar colonies, one recorded village which covered only a square rod of ground including several thousand nests here a vertical tunnel is dug with individual cells branching out on either side within which the eggs are laid together with a portion of suitably prepared food the cell being then sealed the mother having completed her domestic arrangements waits in the mouth of the burrow for the issuance of the young with yet another mining bee halictus the smallest of all while each mother makes her own nest burrow with its stored cells a number combined to form a common vertical passage to the open air so that one entrance and corridor give access to a number of homes many such structures are placed close together in populous communities thus as comstock says while andrina builds villages composed of individual houses halictus makes cities composed of apartment houses in bumblebees the domestic economy is similar to that of the wasps the colonies for such as they are lasting but a season. These bees pair in the fall, the males die, and the impregnated females pass the winter sleeping in some underground crevice or hole. In the spring they issue forth and gather pollen and honey, which is mixed together into a pasty mass and placed in some underground hole, that of a mouse or mole or one which the bee digs for herself. Several eggs are laid upon the mass of food, the resultant larvae feeding thereon until they are full-grown when each spins a silken cocoon within which it passes through the pupa state to emerge as a sterile worker bee. These workers then take over the labor of the nest, enlarging it and providing more food, and the mother simply lays eggs to the extent of several sexually sterile broods. In the late summer or fall, males and females are produced which fly forth in pair. Then the males and workers gradually die off until only the pregnant females are left, the potential founders of next year's communities the strange case of guest bumblebees species of the genus cytherus is almost sure to come to the attention of any observer of bumblebee nests in all general characters and total seeming truly bumblebee-like found always in and about bumblebee nests these insidious guests cleverly living at the bountiful table of their host present to us an interesting problem touching their deceptively bombus-like makeup. Are they really bumblebees, that is, bees directly descended from bumblebee stock, which have become degenerate and adopted a parasitic life, or are they bees of another stock, which, for the sake of successfully deceiving the bumblebees and thus gaining access to their nests, have gradually acquired, through long selection, the bumblebee dress and appearance?" The former supposition is the more probable. They are like bumblebees in so many structural details unnecessary for such deception that they must be looked on as degenerate offshoot from the Bombadai. Having given up the gathering and carrying of pollen, their tarsi are no longer provided with a pollen basket, concave, smooth surface bounded by lines of long, stiff, incurving hairs. And by the absence of this arrangement, they may always be distinguished from the two true bumblebees. There is no working caste, infertile female workers with these cytheridae, each species being represented by males and females only. Unquote. Kellogg. The honey or hive bees, Apis mellifica, differ from the bumblebees in that the colonies are permanent and composed of a much greater number of individuals. These live in their wild state in a hollow tree, although those found wild in America are are all escaped domestic swarms. The number in a colony vary from 10,000 in winter to 50,000 in summer, of which but one individual is a fertile female, possibly several hundred are males or drones, and the rest sexually immature females, or the workers, all three sorts being anatomically distinguishable. The queen is merely the mother, never working or gathering honey as with the While the drones act as consorts for the queen, only one in a thousand perhaps performing any real function for the colony at all. The workers, quote, build brood and food cells, gather, prepare and store food, feed and otherwise care for the young, repair, clean, ventilate and warm the hive, guard the entrance and repel invaders, feed the queen, control the production of new queens and distribute the species, founding new communities by swarming" unquote. kellogg although the colony is permanent its members die just as in human communities the workers which hatch and labor in the spring and summer rarely live more than six or eight weeks while those born in late autumn may survive the winter queens live from two to three even five years while the drones all die or are killed by the workers before the coming of winter feeble workers Larvae and pupae are generally also slain. The ants, of which the number of species has been variously estimated at, from 2,500 Kellogg to 5,000 Wheeler, are without exception communal and have carried their societal evolution further than any other animal, not even excepting the lower races of mankind. Wheeler says of them, Answer to be found everywhere from the Arctic regions to the tropics, from timberline on the loftiest mountains to the shifting sands of the dunes and seashores, and from the dampest forests to the driest deserts. Not only do they outnumber in individuals all other terrestrial animals, but their colonies, even in very circumscribed localities, often defy enumeration. Their colonies are, moreover, remarkably stable, sometimes outlasting a generation of men. Such stability is, of course, due to the longevity of the individual ants, since worker ants are known to live from four to seven, and queens from thirteen to fifteen years. In all these respects, the other social insects are decidedly inferior. Not only do the ants far outnumber in species all other social insects, but they have either never acquired or have completely abandoned certain habits which must seriously handicap the termites, social wasps, and bees in their struggle for existence. The ants neither restrict their diet, like the termites, to comparatively innutritious substances, such as cellulose, nor, like the bees, to a very few substances like the honey and pollen of the evescent flowers, nor do they build elaborate combs of expensive materials such as wax. Even paper as a building material has been very generally outgrown and abandoned by the ants. Waxen and paper cells are not easily altered or repaired and insects that are wedded to this kind of architecture not only have to expend much time and energy in collecting and working up the building materials, but they are unable to move themselves or their brood to other localities when the nest is disturbed, when the moisture or temperature becomes unfavorable, or the food supply fails. The custom of depending on a single fertilized queen as their only reproductive center or organ of the colony has also been outgrown by many ants. At least the more dominant and successful species have learned to cherish a number of these fertile individuals in the colony. Finally, the manifold and plastic relationships of ants to plants and other animals are in marked contrast with the circumscribed and highly specialized ethological relationships of the social bees and wasps. The termites undoubtedly resemble the ants most closely in plasticity, but these insects too are highly specialized or one-sided in their development this is best seen in their extreme sensitiveness to light for this practically confines them to a subterranean existence and excludes them from many of the influences afforded by a more varied and illuminated environment the social evolution of the ants parallels in a very remarkable way that of mankind and from this point of view they may be classed as foraging, herding, and agricultural ants, with lesser groupings as well. 1. Foraging or Marauding Ants The genus Esiton, the so-called driver ants, best illustrate this stage of savagery, especially on the part of certain Brazilian species, in which in their long marches in search of booty, the great army is said to be marshaled by big-headed officers and led by scouts. These ants make their expeditions to the nest of other ants for the purpose of capturing the larvae and pupae, which are used as food and such as are not devoured, are stored in the temporary nest, their captors being nomadic and are used for some time after the foray is over. On their long marches they carry as booty the dead bodies of various insects, as well as the helpless young of the pillaged ants. 2. Slaveholding Ants Slaveholding seems to be a natural outcome of the habit on the part of the marauding ants of bringing home the larvae and pupae of other ant colonies. Of course, if all were devoured before emerging as adults, such a thing could not happen. But, as Kellogg says, the instinct of the hatched workers is to work, and so work they do. Hence, if any captives survived and their work was of advantage to the raider community, natural selection would do the rest." In the beginning there were no slave-makers but only raiders who raided for food, not for slaves. But by bringing home extra supplies of this food, which hatched and lived and worked in the new nest, evolution from food to slaves and from raiders to slave-makers has naturally taken place. Some slave-making ants are now absolutely dependent upon their captives for all work done in the colony, and one, Polly Yerges, has gone so far that it can neither dig nor care for its young, or even keep itself from starvation in an abundantly stored nest without the aid of its slaves, quote. Specialization is leading Polyergus to its end, unquote. Three, herding ants. These are in reality commensal forms living in beneficial association with other insects, notably the aphids or plant lice. The ants, however, as one would suppose, are the masters, and the aphids serve them as domestic cattle serve mankind the economy can best be understood by a specific instance that of the little brown ant lasius brunius, which gathers the young larvae of the corn root louse in the fall and keeps them safe beyond the reach of any natural enemies until spring when they are transported to the roots of certain weeds until the corn germinates and then to the roots of the growing corn and herded there until mating time in the autumn when they are allowed to pair and their offspring preserved as before. Other species gather various plant-lice eggs, which they conserve during the winter, colonizing them upon their proper food plants in the spring. In return for this care, the ants secure from the aphids the so-called honeydew, which exudes from two tube-like processes, the honey tubes or cornicles projecting from the upper surface near the end of the abdomen. The plant lice readily yield the honeydew to the ants, though in some cases the ants may not feed upon it directly, but upon a fungus which in turn grows upon the sweetish exudation accumulating upon the surrounding leaves. Certain of the aphids seem to be utterly dependent upon the ants for their well being, if not for their very existence. 4. Agricultural ants. These harvester ants, as they are perhaps more accurately called, belong to the genus Pogonomermix, of which nine species occur in America, especially in the west and south. They form communities usually of considerable size, the nest being partly below, partly above ground in the form of large symmetrical heaps in open sunny places, generally where there is more or less grass. The nests are stored with seeds and grains garnered from the surrounding grasses, which are cut away in the area immediately contiguous to the nest from this bare area well-worn trails diverge into surrounding grass the harvester ants have been said actually to plant their favourite grasses especially that known as ant grass or aristida to the exclusion of other crops this wheeler has shown to be untrue but a voluntary planting is simulated by the fact that chafe or sprouted seeds which would be valueless as winter rations are removed from the nest and dropped at the edge of the cleared circle and in many instances take root and grow resulting in an unintentional sowing of seed and as aristida seeds make up a large part of the food stores a majority of the plants about the nest may be aristida five honey ants there is a species myrmicocytus milliger found in the semi-arid west which McCook has especially studied in the garden of the gods colorado where their mounds occur in hundreds Certain of the workers, through a curious structural modification, may become greatly distended with honey, so as to be as large as a small grape, quote, these honey bearers hang by their feet from the ceiling of small dome-shaped chambers in the nest, their yellow bodies stretch along the ceiling, but the rotund abdomens hang down as almost perfect globules of transparent tissues through which the amber honey shines. The honey is obtained by the workers from fresh-growing cynipid galls on oak trees, which exude a sweetish, sticky liquid, which is brought in by the foraging workers and fed to the sedentary honey holders by regurgitation. It is held in the crop of the honey bearer, the distension of which produces the great dilation of the abdomen. The stored honey is fed on demand to other workers by regurgitation. A large drop of honey issues from the mouth of the honey bearer, resting on the palpi and lips, and is eagerly lapped up by the feeding individuals, two or three often feeding together. A somewhat similar honey ant, Pranopolis Imperis, is common in California. Unquote. six. Thief ants These are abundant tiny creatures belonging to the species solenopsis molesta which lives in association with several different species of larger ants, feeding upon the larvae and pupae so that they are in a sense marauder ants, of which we have already spoken. The smaller galleries of the thief ants lie beside the larger ones of their hosts and occasionally open into them so that the burglarous creatures, which are small and obscurely coloured, can carry on their depredations with impunity, escaping into their own galleries which the larger ants cannot enter whenever they are detected or pursued seven commensal ants these also live at the expense of associated species but apparently give some return for the benefit enjoyed which the thief ants do not one such instance recorded by wheeler is that of the common brown ant myrmica brevinoids and the smaller leptothorax emersoni quote the little leptothorax ants lives in the myrmica nest building one or more chambers with entrances from the Myrmica galleries, so narrow that the larger Myrmica cannot get through them. When needing food, the leptothorax workers come into the Myrmica galleries and chambers, and, climbing on the backs of the Myrmica workers, proceed to lick the face and the back of the head of each host. A Myrmica thus treated paused, said Wheeler, as if spellbound by this shampooing, and occasionally folded its antennae as if in sensual enjoyment. The leptothorax, after licking the myrmica's pat, moves its head around to the side and began licking the cheeks, mandibles and labium of the myrmica. Such ardent osculation was not bestowed in vain, for a very minute drop of liquid, evidently some of the recently imbibed sugar water, appeared on the myrmica's lower lip and was promptly lapped up by the leptothorax. The latter then dismounted ran to another myrmica climbed on its back and repeated the very same performance again it took toll and passed on to still another myrmica on looking about in the nest i observed that nearly all of the leptothorax workers were similarly employed wheeler believes that the leptothorax get food only in this way they feed their queen and larvae by regurgitation the myrmicas seem not to resent at all the presence of the leptothorax guests. And indeed, many derive some benefit from the constant cleansing licking of their bodies by the shampooers. But the leptothorax workers are careful to keep their queen and young in a separate chamber, not accessible to their hosts. This is probably the part of wisdom, as the thoughtless habit of eating any conveniently accessible pupae of another species is widespread among ants. Kellogg. Mankind. The evolution of mankind forms the subject matter of later chapters. He is, today, especially in his more highly civilized state, the final product of communal life, for while much may be accomplished by man as an individual, it is only in cooperation with his fellows that his great supremacy over the brute and physical creation may be manifest. None of man's relatives among the primates are more than gregarious, and it is probable that, until the descent of the human precursor from the arboreal habitat, he was but gregarious also, terrestrial existence only permitting the development of true communal life. If this be true, his communal cooperation can hardly antedate the Miocene and may well have had a still more recent beginning. Our fossil records show that of the two groups of insects whose societal evolution compares with that of man, the termites were physically perfected by early Eocene, the ants during the Oligocene time. The presumption is therefore that their evolution, since these several dates, has been purely societal. If this be true, their communal life in each instance antedates that of the sentient head of the animal kingdom itself, a fact which entitles these humble creatures to increased respect. End of chapter 16b. Recording by Francis Wicks.